It's episode 62 of Honestly Unbalanced, and this week we're chatting to award-winning photographer and director Philip Suddick. Philip's based in London, and he specialises in making an energetic and authentic work for advertising clients at home and internationally. His photography captures moments of presence and feelings of peace, whilst being heavily influenced by a love of travel, surf and skateboarding. He believes that a sense of connection to environments can be felt through documenting our relationship to the places we live and explore as humans. So a little bit of a lowdown on what we chat about in this chilled discussion. We talk about learning from mistakes, using criticism uh, as a learning tool, managing thought through mindfulness, sustaining injury through extreme sports, fulfillment versus happiness, that's a good one, capturing emotion through photography, building self-esteem through habits, facing self-doubt whilst chasing dreams and the importance of defining failure you cannot tell me you don't want to hear a little bit more about that before the episode begins i just want to remind you that holly and i have an online platform full of yoga sound journeys and more you can do a seven day trial and even if you do that trial you can still get 25 percent off our online platform with code the hustlers 25 that's the hustlers all caps 25 remember there's no t in hustlers that will get you 25 percent off a single 12 months membership or any reoccurring monthly membership until you decide to cancel it, which you probably won't. Uh, so you can do the seven-day trial, enter the code as you do that, and you'll automatically roll onto that reoccurring monthly membership with that massive discount. And our favorite yoga mat brand, Lifeform, have just released an incredible new mat. It's everything you know Lifeform to be, but now you can customize it. You can choose your colors. You can choose the colors of the alignment guides. You can add graphics, you can add your name. We can get you 5% off that at the moment. Uh, normally it'd be 10%, but they've got another little sale on as well. So at the moment it is 5%. So code HUSTLER gets you 5% off all life form, including the new one. And at some point that will be 10% again. Anyway, that's enough from me. You enjoy the episode. Honestly unbalanced. How, how would you say you kind of actually cultivated your style? Because, and, and can you teach it? Because you, you didn't go to art school explicitly, did you, or photography school explicitly? No, I didn't. I, I actually left school. I wanted to be a filmmaker, so I did two years of, of, of like a A-levels in film instead of, um, instead of regular A-levels. And uh, I loved it. It was really, really great. But I found it very difficult to transition into the industry from there. The, the roots were like you go as a... a like um, you start at the bottom on a film set as a runner and you work your way up, which mm. could take years and years and mm. might never happen. And there's a lot of graft. I mean, either way, I mean, the way I've been working over the last 10 years, I wouldn't say it's necessarily easier. Because um, I'd say a lot of the mistakes I've made have potentially been in, in public rather than in mm-hmm. private. So say you go to university, you get to make all those mistakes and you get feedback and you get to do all of that stuff before you start mm. into the world of work. Whereas I think when you're self-taught, you you do tend to just you do tend to just make a lot more mistakes as you go along. And uh, I think now with the internet, you publish things much quicker, so things are out in the public realm much quicker. So you know, I look back at some of my work when I first started and think, God, I wish I'd never put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> as we all uh, do. <laughs> but, yeah, and I just think it's it's part of uh, it's part of a feedback loop that I've. I've found really helpful for me actually because um, you can kind of go back and look at stuff and it's great to see progress as well so I can go back and look at what I've done and go okay yeah that wasn't very good but at least I'm, I'm, I can recognize that now. Um, How have you taken yeah. that kind of criticism? Because I guess when you say you put stuff out there that you wish you hadn't there was probably somewhere someone criticizing you or judging you maybe not but how did you deal with any any of that? Yeah, uh, good, good question. I mean, I actually really, I, I, I kind of thrive off of criticism. I, I have like a your hair looks shit um, today. <laughs> Adam, he's got good hair. I'm giving him a, a boost. He no, thrives off it. No, everyone, just to clarify, <laughs> Philip has really good hair. <laughs> I do need a haircut. <laughs> 
<laughs> Carry um, on. What was, what was your question? <laughs> you t- you telling about how you thrive off criticism? <laughs> He's just yeah, completely. I, I just. Yeah, it's like. Um, yeah, it's it doesn't bother me for too long. So obviously, you know, if I get criticism, it doesn't feel very nice in the moment. Um, and it's not something I really. It's not something I go around looking for, like you know, Adam telling me I've got a shit haircut. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've always found that it it's, it is feedback. Like feedback, either way, tends to be good. So it, 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 you get to decide whether something's true or false, and whether it's useful or not useful. And I think for me, along the way, I've always been able to to step back and look at feedback and and process it in that way so yeah if something really hits me and i'm really surprised by it normally the more offended i am by feedback it's it's normally to an extent uncovered a blind spot or something Mm. that i didn't know was there because if it's like you get sidelined by really harsh criticism and then you have to sort of take a few step backs to steps backward to find out whether it's true or not and to you know, step back from the emotion and think, is there something in this? Could I use it? And is it, is it going to be something that's helpful or is it just somebody else being really emotional? Um, mm. Yeah. Feedback's such a, like, it's a funny concept, isn't it? The idea, I think we put it on a pedestal is you need to get feedback all the time. And actually it depends entirely where it's coming from. Yeah, who is giving, right? who is giving that feedback? Do I actually respect their opinion? And actually if it's someone that I don't particularly like giving me feedback that's negative, if anything, that's a compliment because it means that you're you're really not doing something that is in their in their style wrong. in their mm. style, which is, which is nice. And then also feedback as well. In terms of putting it on a pedestal, we tend to dwell on the really good uh, the bad feedback. Mm. We might get one piece of bad feedback and a hundred pieces of good feedback, and obviously we dwell on the final on mm. the, the bad one a little bit more. Mm. And I'm I'm an advocate to some degree. Of just not listening to feedback. Yeah, Unless, but it depends well, who it is. Depends it? who it is, like but, it, but and if it's long term, like yeah. in the in the yoga context, if someone is, if your class numbers are going down steadily over the course of a year, <laughs> that's good feedback to listen to. <laughs> and if you're not getting any jobs, that's good feedback to listen to. But if it's just one or two people here and there giving either good or bad, I think just take it with a pinch of salt. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I think also it's like if you have a bit of a, a mission or you have a bit of a direction that you want to travel in um yeah you wouldn't really go anywhere if you uh if you mm. just listen to people all the time so i mean it's not like i'm bombarded by people telling me like how to do my <laughs> job and where i'm going <laughs> on and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah it's just taking things on i mean a lot of the time it's me it's me figuring out that i'm probably yeah. my worst critic you know mm-hmm. uh, it's me having to navigate being hard on myself so um yeah i think that a lot of the time it's 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 as you say how you process something and whether you listen to people or not i'm trying to listen to myself less at the moment (laughs) (laughs) well you you do a lot of uh, a lot of mindfulness and personal development work so do do you find that your inner critic comes up a lot and that you've got more tools now to be able to manage it now that you've sort of gone on this mindfulness personal development path yeah i mean every every day i'd say i have to i have to sort of acknowledge something and i'd say acknowledgement is is a big word because yeah. you what i found through meditation well just developing a meditation practice and actually that becoming a regular thing was just noticing how much was going on mm. on a daily basis and how much like uh, just re- just noticing thoughts at first and just uh, and thinking to myself oh my god there's just it's constant like there's never a moment where there isn't one yeah. um and then i've just got much better at at uh, embracing, you know, if, some, if resistance is coming up or I've had to deal with uh, something in a day where something's gone wrong, um, just taking literally two minutes to write down what's coming up, like what feelings are there. And it's like a Chinese finger trap. Like if I suppress that, I, I go, I'm just going to railroad and keep going mm. and think, fuck it. Like I, I don't care about how I feel. I just have a mission statement. I have a goal. I, need to, I know where I need to go. It doesn't go well. There's a mm. point in time where that cup overflows yeah and you start getting bad results in real life because you it's just it's your energy and how you're applying yourself to things it's it's not a positive way of being so uh, i find that taking time to acknowledge what's going on if it's negative and if it's positive like sometimes you know if i win a big job or something goes on i'm then 
you know, immediately looking at new cameras and I'm looking at spending it before I've even earned it. So it's like, uh, yeah, check yourself before you wreck yeah. yourself. It sounds like you've had so many injuries as well, reading through all your notes. And that's actually how you got into yoga and mindfulness, isn't it? So tell us about your first injury and your, your entry point to yoga. Yeah, I, I was really quite active with uh, martial arts and skateboarding and uh, lots of like quite fun sports growing up um and naturally i used to injure myself quite a lot but it was just a weird period of two years where i'd never broken a bone actually through, through martial arts and I, my dad got me into karate when i was five and i was uh, competing for like competing from about age 13 or 14 uh, up to about 22 and then skateboarding i started when i was 12 and i skated all the way up until i was about 21 22 as well but then in a two-year period when i got into my 20s i um I, I broke yeah i broke my arm and then i broke my leg and then severe concussion oh and gosh. then from a lot of antibiotics i believe um then sort of picked up this long-term um immune issue which i'm happy to go into at some point yeah but um yeah first injury was actually parkour i decided that i was going to get into parkour what's parkour sorry am i being thick but i read your notes i thought what is that it's like free it's like free running you know where people jump off buildings and they sort of climb up yeah stuff and Mm -hmm. they're running around yeah I mean, I almost just had to think about parkour and I broke my wrist. It's, it's that dangerous. Uh, yeah, I fell off a, a, it wasn't a, a roof, but it was like a step. an elevated. A step. Like an, bigger, <laughs> somewhere, in the, somewhere in the middle split the difference. Uh, yeah, I tried to jump over this handrail and it was slippy. Oh. And basically I probably shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> and, uh, based on the fact that I'd only just watched a... Uh, like two videos on YouTube and what, then and you decided, just went straight in well, for it. Yeah, well, I thought I do, I do martial arts and I do <laughs> skateboarding, so I've got good body awareness and good athletic ability. So I'll start practicing this thing that's quite advanced and uh, yeah, within was, two seconds. Was this like, like the James Bond deal? There was a James Bond film that started with a parkour scene, wasn't there? Do you recall? It was, it was, that, yeah, was that the time? Yeah, was, was that the inspiration? Yeah. Yeah, it was that French guy. I can't remember his name now, but he was yeah. like a really, the really famous guy who kind of did all the BBC adverts and everything. And he, he's, yeah, and I think there was a documentary and, you know, I got really obsessed with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So it's so you fell off the wall. Uh, yeah, I landed on my head and my <gasps> arm. Oh. Yeah. With people? Onto. Yeah, I was with two mates and oh, uh, they, they were quite surprised as well. Uh, we spent the afternoon in Amy oh, no. uh, getting, a, getting a cast and checking out some concussion and stuff. So, um, yeah, and I think past the injury, looking back now, I think what I realised was that at the time I was sort of like, I, just, I was just into extremes. Like I really liked things that were intense mm. and extreme and... Um, yeah just like a lot of adrenaline like I think I really enjoyed that and it was something that I had a relationship to and I don't think it was always that positive to have that relationship Mm. with with those things and um yeah and basically I then sustained a serious break I broke my fibula it was a spiral fracture skateboarding doing something that I'd done for years it was a silly um it was a silly mistake but uh yeah I was out I was in a car for about 10 months and then I kind of, after that period of, because the, the wrist was the year before and then the spiral fracture on my leg was the year after, I just thought I'm going to have to, going to have to sort of create a bit of a, a change here because I don't think I, I can uh, go back to doing what I was doing. And um, yeah, it took me a long time to recover from my leg injury. And so uh, in terms of ankle mobility and getting all of the, so the strength back in my leg, that was how I actually started practicing yoga. Um, and yeah, I, I used, uh, I was just trying to find videos online. It was like, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was mm. like 2010. Was I was it, trying was to it, find uh, videos on YouTube. Yoga with Adrienne by any chance? <laughs> it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I found this, 
this guy in New Zealand who was a physiotherapist and he put like uh, a bunch of videos on on YouTube, but there really wasn't many videos mm. on YouTube. It was a bit of a strange space. So um, I, I did it for as long as I needed to, to sort of help my leg recover. And then I just kind of stopped because I didn't really identify with it and I didn't have any good classes. I couldn't really find any good classes close to where I lived. So uh yeah i i sort of just parked it and then i can't really remember what i did after that i sort of had a period of time where i wasn't really i was trying to figure out what i was going to do next in terms of finding enjoyable uh pastimes and things to do because i felt like skateboarding had come to a, a bit of a a bit of a, a rolling stop mm. and uh, i think um karate as well I, I felt like i'd kind of got to where i wanted to be with that so uh, I was started to sort of search for something something new. Mm. Do you think there's anything in you know having these these injuries and and I don't know you having to slow down and do you think it was almost maybe a little blessing in disguise that, that took you away from the ex- the extreme things in life towards something a little more gentle maybe? Yeah, I mean at the time I would not have agreed with you at all. I think I was <laughs> deep deeply frustrated mm. that uh, the two things that I loved the most were were taken away i felt like they were taken away i mean i basically self-inflicted injuries but yeah. um it was just obscure how i started to injure myself quite severely within a really short space of time mm. i mean maybe it was just that i was getting old but or older and when you're 12 you kind of bounce um but yeah there was a point it was a yeah it was a sort of a pivot point for me where i realized that actually it's not sustainable and then sustainability kind of came into it like self-sustainability came into it in a way like with the karate I started to notice with um I was doing more office work at the time and my fingers would ache my knuckles would ache from like a day of just typing mm. from all of the uh, conditioning works we used to do like block breaking and uh, press-ups on knuckles and all that kind of stuff and you know, I was 22, and I started. It felt like, like kind of milder arthritis in my hands, and I just thought, this doesn't really seem. And then with this sort of painting part of the overall picture, and then thinking, thinking back to when I trained. Whenever you went into a dressing room or like a changing room, the place always absolutely stank of deep heat. Mm. So I thought, like everyone training has injuries. Like everyone here is sustaining injury. Like consistently training on injuries as well most of the time and uh i just thought i don't i don't really want to be uh one of those guys who's got like bandaged up elbows and bandaged up knees and yeah all that kind of stuff so yeah i started to look around for for something that was maybe going to be good for my health rather than Mm. uh kind of keep keep uh sort of detracting from it That'd be a wonderful aftershave actually there's that that that, one of that company maison margiela they do aftershave, oh, yeah. which is the barber shop, uh, a walk on the beach by the fireplace. But they're deep, deep heat and sweat. That would that would that would take that would take, <laughs> that would take me back. I quite I think I quite like that. It's strange. Uh, but forget the deep heat and sweat. Let's think more about that transition uh, from office work to what you're doing now. And I wonder is we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that transition explicitly in a second. But do you think as your life was filled with something more creative and a career perhaps that you enjoyed a little bit more than your previous careers. There was less n- need to find the extremes of sport, etc., because you could find something entertaining and inspiring in, in your mm. work. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think in a way that whole chapter was, was just me searching for fulfillment. You know, mm. I think that, um, and it was fulfilling. Like I still don't feel like um, I get quite the same buzz as going out. You know, say if you go out for a day skating and the weather's really good and you're with your mates, um, it's a really communal sport. Like you can basically go and hang out with anyone if you've got a skateboard and you can go to a skate park. And I'd say what I do now is a bit more solitary. So. Um, yeah, like I think creative pursuits in general, you have to you have to spend a lot of time thinking both before you actually start to to go out and make stuff. Well, I do anyway. And then um, I think, yeah, I think I found that I do still get 
a, a similar feeling. Like if I've been out shooting for a day and I come home, that sense of fulfillment is quite similar. I'd say um, it's, yeah, I don't know if there's something in this, but actually there's quite a lot of uh, like ex-skaters or, or skateboarders or people like that who end up becoming photographers or end up mm. going into creative sp- pursuits in general, uh, like music and I don't know. I think it is in a way, you know, skateboarding is an art form mm. in itself. And I think y- y- there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of things that you can cross over. Like uh, if I focus specifically on process, a lot of the time you're kind of meeting up with people and you're trying to like achieve something that's difficult. Like it's like capturing a moment. And like, it, I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of, of connecting dots here, but say with skateboarding, you're trying to land a trick. So you're going out, you're hanging out with your mates, you're trying to land tricks, but at the same time, you're just doing it because it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And then with skate, uh, with photography, you're going out, you're trying to make good pictures. And a lot of the time, for me, I'm working with other people. And um, say I'm doing a sports shoot, there's like a perfect moment where that person, you know, say if they're like jumping or they're running, there's like a perfect moment where physically and anatomically how they look is sort of perfect it's like the perfect running shot and also you kind of have the experience when you're making that work of being with that person hanging out somewhere kind of interesting and um you get obviously you have like the pictures that you come home with which is really satisfying if you've done a good job and then skateboarding in a way you come home and if you've landed a really good trick that day you feel really satisfied because you think oh i've got that now next time i go out i could do that Mm. again um so i don't know i don't know if there's crossover but Mm. in my in my mind that that that's the sort of fulfillment that i get from photography that maybe i used to get from skateboarding love that i said skateboarding feels like of all of the subcultures or all of the sports pursuits is probably the most creative in many senses. So, like, with football, there is no music subculture tied in with football or even rock climbing necessarily, whereas when you go to a skate park, there is always music. There is music you would identify with the skate park. There is clothing. You know, since the start of video cameras, there would be people trying to film what they, you know, the tricks and stuff, you know, rolling their board, whilst the camera's on the board, etc. Like, it's, it's fundamentally quite a creative thing, isn't it, in many, in many ways? Yeah, it really is. And uh, I think, yeah, I think I'm trying to think of the difference between like, uh, you know, you've got like BMXing and rollerblading, stuff like that, which kind of falls into the same category. But I think, I mean, you have like a footwear factor with skateboarding, like with BMX, I mean, with rollerblading, for example, you're just strapped into some wheelie boots. So you don't have the same culture around skate like skate trainers and sneakers and and that kind of thing which is obviously a massive cultural movement in itself but then also like skateboards like decorating skateboards um decorating surfboards uh that goes back you know to before skateboarding was invented really and i think it was a culture built on freedom so if you kind of i think this is in dog tan z boys but you go back to like when it started and it was GIs that had just come back from the second world war that really didn't feel like being a part of the kind of the system that their parents inhabited. So decided to just go and live you know, quite a wild existence in Hawaii, just living off the land. And they used to make their own surfboards out of timber. So I think, I don't know if you go re- really far back to like that mindset, the sport was always really about uh, freedom and, and just sort of not really being part of um, like a system in a way. Mm. And I'm not necessarily an anarchist, but I'd I'd say that there's something really liberating about just taking a skateboard out and going Mm. and riding around. There's something really nice about it, but I just, I don't know whether that, that has continued to inform why people like the sport, but it was definitely kind of built on those values of, of like freedom and escapism and, living quite alternative uh, an alternative life on on the anarchist note there's actually i've i've been listening to a podcast lately with loads of photographers and so many of them were former punks which is really interesting <laughs> so many yeah have you have you noticed yeah. that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a punk, uh, <laughs> but I actually used to hang out with a lot of punks. <laughs> you, you talked a so little... So I've got my punk wings. <laughs> Maybe that can be your next haircut. imagine Philip with that you talked a little bit about um, fulfilment um, a little while ago and you actually said something really interesting in your notes which is uh, being happy is not sustainable but fulfilment is so can you talk a little bit about that because I I like that line yeah I think like happy is is like it's like a magic dust isn't it it's something that um you can't really chase it it just is like Mm -hmm. it's something that you either are or you you are not and something that should make you happy can make you miserable you you know like um and something that's you know really mundane and something that you don't well i don't even think is going to make me happy ends up making me really happy like uh you know i've been on a holiday and been miserable on a really nice holiday and then i've bought a really nice cup of coffee and been elated at how good <laughs> a cup of coffee it was mm. and it was like three pounds compared to like that a thousand pounds yeah <laughs> and so you think what's how do you control that i mean uh, control is maybe not a great word but um how do you how do you like navigate that so for me it's like fulfillment often comes is a is a reward from having put some work into something yeah. as simplistically as possible. Um, like if you, like you've been, you guys have been doing a lot of work at your house. It's like uh, once you've painted a room, you get a huge sense of fulfillment mm. or now every time you go in that room, you feel really fulfilled because you've put so much thought and energy and uh, process and, you know, hard graft into making that space your own. Um, yeah that that to me is something that you can you can really do something about and um i i think that fulfillment if you use that example again like there's something really creative about doing that you know you Mm. choose a paint color i can see your lovely log burner and your (laughs) log stack behind you there Mm. so you kind of think about all of those things and it's something that that has a really strong afterburn and it lasts a long time and I think like fulfillment to me is like creativity with hard work, mm. maybe some self-expression. And yeah, I think there has to be some some blood, sweat and tears in there for fulfillment to actually be a factor. Yeah. Because I think happiness is, is something that comes and goes, mm. you know. And, I, you know, I might not necessarily feel very happy when I'm doing something fulfilling. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but but once i've i've done that thing it's it is then fulfilling and it's something that perhaps might make me happy i don't know and that creates more opportunities to be happier i think once you've worked on the fulfillment mm-hmm. getting out of your comfort zone putting the graft in then you're more likely to have more moments of happiness i would think anyway yeah i think i think it's like evidence-based as well happiness isn't it like you can make yourself happy by doing things it's like learning to, I mean, obviously there's like reckless abandon, so you can go and jump in the sea and swim around and have and just find many moments of happiness yeah. in the day. And I'm not saying that I walk around looking for really hard things to do all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm just saying that, yeah, I think, you know, I've lost my child, I thought. I think that it's, yeah, I th- yeah, I've lost my train of thought. The idea of happiness, I think what you kind of captured it there, it's happiness is an emotion and emotions come and go. Mm. And if and if and you can never feel one emotion all the time. Mm. So if, if you're constantly on the search for happiness and that is your ultimate goal, I think you're always going to be unfulfilled because you can never really hold mm. on to happiness mm. constantly. Whereas if you are searching for fulfillment and freedom, they aren't really emotions per se. Mm. They are states of being. And as you say, you can mm. be fulfilled or find freedom despite the ups and downs of life. Despite the fact, yeah. yes, you might have, have that nice coffee, but then someone might bib their horn at you and annoy you and run you over almost mm. as you cross the road. But you can still have an overarching sense of freedom or fulfillment through that, I guess. Yeah, I just, yeah, totally. I, I think that's that was what I was, what I was getting at. And also, I think it's like, a, it's like... A building a relationship with yourself around self-esteem mm. and I, I don't mean like i have low self-esteem but i think when you 
start doing things that move towards fulfillment like that encompasses all kinds of positive traits like um good habits um being methodical uh just like things that build skill and build uh you know trust with yourself mm -hmm. in the background mm -hmm. and i think really like self-esteem just comes from doing hard things a lot of the time and hard a hard thing to me might not be a hard thing to someone else mm -hmm. like um but it's like something that's hard to to someone personally if you decide that you're just going to take that on and do it you're building fulfillment and self-esteem i think all that stuff's kind of connected in a way and and question do you find all of those things when you're sat in your ice bath in the winter on your balcony <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i, th I still struggle with that um, <laughs> tell us about I, that i still don't think there's a day hey tell us about the ice <laughs> oh, baths well, yeah we decided to get into wim hof like <laughs> over lockdown and we bought his 10-week course and i got really into it um Alex, my wife, not so much, but <laughs> she still has the odd cold shower. But I really wanted to uh, keep doing it. But sadly, like we live in a flat in London. I don't really have the luxury of being able to buy a, an oak barrel and put that in the garden. We have a little balcony. So um, I went on Amazon. I found these little Japanese bathing tubs, which are designed for people in Japan who don't have baths, apparently. Oh. Um, and it's like a blow up, it's like a, a mini blow up submersion tub that you can sit in that's made of like paddling pole material. So I bought one of those and an extension for my tap. And uh, yeah, in the winter, I'll just fill it up and oh leave gosh. it, leave it outside and it freezes over and then I'll, I'll jump in there and it's quite fun. I've got like the thermometer and it starts off around, I don't know, like in October, like seven or eight degrees. I mean, this year just wasn't, it didn't get that cold, but mm. Last year, you know, it froze over and had to like smash it with a hammer to get in. And I, I was spending, yeah, around five to seven minutes in there. And I normally do the breath work before and then um, get out and, and just kind of have a hot cup of tea or oh, something. I don't know how you do that. Can we talk, let's talk a little bit about career now, just to put things into context. Can you just name drop some of like the biggest jobs you've done? Yeah. Things just have done. I've shot for, yeah, quite a few drinks brands, um, the Hay Club, um, Heineken, Strongbow, um, shot for a, a big vape brand. I'm not massively proud of that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, allowed, it allowed me to buy a flat in London. <laughs> so, Can say so, no. Uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'd say some of the biggest ones. Um, Equinox Gyms with Adam. We've shot, mm. you know, shot that before. Um, you're putting me on the spot now. Yeah, let's So, like yeah, that's enough. That's enough. You've, you, you, you've, you've thrown it. some big names out there. <laughs> so, let's rewind then to like, you deciding to become a photographer. So, you had an office job, didn't you? You had an office job and then you had... Yeah, talk about your jobs and talk about how you actually then decided to build what has become a very successful career mm. as a photographer. Yeah, so I, after my media A-levels, uh, I, I started running uh, and I was, I was running for about half a year and I was doing, uh, I was on for a documentary filmmaker and I was helping them with camera work and all that kind of stuff. And um, I really enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, my, my, my parents weren't that keen on me. Uh, they, they just couldn't see how I was going to earn money from it. So I was getting a bit of pressure to actually do something useful so I actually um bowed to that pressure and I went to work for my dad as a carpenter and I ended up staying and doing my whole carpentry apprenticeship with him and it was a good to be fair as a parent I you know not having any experience of a media industry or knowing anybody in that world I think it probably is a scary prospect so I think the advice was pretty sound at the time so I did my carpentry apprenticeship with my dad and then I finished that and it all went well and I didn't mind doing carpentry, which wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I was intending on going back to photography and to start assisting and maybe go back to uni. So it was always in the back of my mind after I finished my apprenticeship. And I decided that I'd pay for a management course so that 
if I ever needed to go back to it, cause it was all like fallback stuff. So I was doing like fallback stuff for like four years. Um, I went to do this management course and I met somebody on a course and um, they said, oh, I'm leaving my company. Do you want a, an interview? And uh, we were talking about what they did and they were a quantity surveyor and uh, I had to look it up. And uh, they, <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I'm, carpentry background I've got media in a levels i've got an a level in media and uh, i said i don't really know if i'll be right for the job he said oh no come in they like people with practical experience so i went in and um, they basically offered me a job as a trainee quantity surveyor offered me like a package and to cover all of my uni fees so they wanted to send me to uni to mm. bsc in quantity surveying uh, it was like a five-year route so it was like a almost like an apprenticeship but you got a degree and a trade, a profession at the end of it. And it was at the time, like I, I didn't really have any other prospects. So I thought, <clears throat> I thought, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I'm turning this down for, like flipping a coin and going and trying to be a photographer after spending four years as a carpenter. So I was, it was a real crossroad point and I just decided to, to do it. So I ended up signing up for another five years and doing a degree in quantity surveying and becoming a fully trained quantity surveyor, uh, which took me up until the age of 25. And I think I knew as soon as I started, I, I knew in, in my gut, I knew it just wasn't what I wanted to do, but um, I thought I'm probably never gonna do a degree again. Um, nobody from my family has a degree. So I thought, well, there's a, a few buckets that I can take uh. there. So uh, yeah, I did it, and it was um, it was really difficult, but um, I got two one out of it, and uh, I I learned what I don't like doing by <laughs> by doing that job. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was a really good experience. Looking back, I learned so much about business and negotiation, and like really practical skills, and a lot of those things really help with what I do today. Because a lot of the chat that I have for stuff that's quite stressful is is normally around usages and money and um, getting paid and all that kind of stuff. And that was basically what I was doing for a job for five years was figuring out how, how to manage contracts and stuff. So um, yeah, and all the while I was actually shooting. So I always had cameras and I was building a website in the background whilst I was uh, doing my degree. So the way the degree worked, I'd have to go to uni one or two days a week and then uh, the rest of the time I had to be on uh, a project. So I'd be on a live project and managing accounts and um, yeah, like quite large accounts for builders and stuff like that. So I, uh, yeah, I kind of straddled both for a while, uh, which was quite intense. And then I worked as a surveyor for two years out of my degree and then slowly transitioned. My company were great. They um, offered me a sabbatical. Well, I requested a sabbatical and um, well, actually it was a recession at the time. So I think they were quite happy to offer <laughs> sal sal salaries. Uh, <clears throat> so I took a six month sabbatical and then got back in touch and uh, they got in touch with me and said, do you think you're coming back? And I said, actually, no, I think I'll take 12 months because I could take a 12 month unpaid leave so i took that so i had a little safety net there which i i think really helped because i knew that it's sort of like training wheels i could go out and and start uh trying but i knew that if i if i needed it there was a job if everything went completely wrong there was the job there for me so uh <clears throat> yeah i gave that a try and yeah never went back i just uh, i just kept going and it was a really good 12 months and uh started getting some work you know little jobs and moved to London and um, yeah, sort of everything changed quite dramatically from there. Like in terms of the jobs you got then at the beginning, like how did, how did you get them? It would, did you get them just based on this portfolio of work that you presented so far? And that was enough, that was enough to kind of get the work. So I had a, yeah, I had a website and I had a not bad selection of work on there, but I, yeah, I sort of had a few strings to my bow so i started shooting for getty so I, I started shooting some stock photography and that was a really good way for me to supplement my income and at the time stock photography paid 
it wasn't bad. You know, you could make, you know, a f- quite a few hundred quid a month. And it was just enough in the background to supplement my, you know, income so that I could, well, generate more income from doing the, the actual doing commissions. But yeah, it was difficult at first. It was mostly portrait commissions, headshots, corporate portrait, cor- corporate portraits. Um, yeah, it really, it really was just whatever, whatever came up. You sort of, I think you're just, I was just thrilled to be getting booked for stuff. So um, yeah, you go from, I think when you career change in anything, when you start getting results in the field that you're trying to move into, it's uh, it's just really exciting mm. at first. It's a, it's a real, yeah, it's just a really exciting thing to start to think that your your plan is is working. Yeah. Anyway. What? Sorry, carry on. Honey. I was just going to say, were there, were there many points where you sort of thought, oh, God, what am I doing? And you had self-doubt and you thought, actually, I'm just going to go back to my safety net and, you know. Yeah, and I think actually this ties in nicely with what we were talking about before, like um, finding yoga and... Mm. Um, I was finding it quite stressful and I think it was just an overwhelming fear of failure, Mm. even though I hadn't really defined what failure was for me. I think it was just running out of money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, it would have been useful at the time to be able to, to, to define what, what failure would have been. So, um, yeah, I, um, Sorry, what's the question again? I was just talking about self-doubt. And about did, did you ever have yeah. any sort of moments where you where you thought, well, let's just backtrack and go back to safety? Yeah, and it was always kind of there in the background. You know, it's sort of like a... a I used to think of it as like a, a dark shadow following me around. It's sort of like your your other career, you know, the, <laughs> the previous career, the, mm. the place that you used to work. And, you know, you might end up going back there one day and you know, God forbid. Mm. Uh, so it was a huge motivator at first. I, I really didn't want to go back to what I was doing. Um, and I think that as much as it was me moving away from something and using that as a driver, at the time it was the per- you know, it was the perfect motivation. And I'd say actually what's been much harder is um, there's a po- there was obviously a point where I went from like trying really hard and moving away from fear and trying to move towards something positive to then actually kind of doing okay and getting jobs and having some savings and, you know, buying a flat in London mm-hmm. and, uh, and then having to move towards something positive rather than moving away from, from something negative. Mm-hmm. And for that for me was as hard a transition as going freelance in the first place. I love mm-hmm. the idea of trying to define failure. Mm-hmm. It's really important for people, actually. Yeah, and success. Fi- yeah, to find success and failure. But I think a lot of people, as you say, are scared of failure, but don't really know what, what that is. Is it just money? Is it just a lack of money? Is it to not get the jobs you want? I, I think that's probably an activity worth doing. I feel like I've watched a TED Talk. That some, someone at some point talked about failure in that way. I can't remember who. Could have been Tim Ferriss. I'm not yeah, sure, but someone, someone to a TED talk on that kind of idea. It's, really it's, it's often linked in with what other people think and judgment. Yeah. I think if you took everyone else away in the world, there'd be a lot less fear of failure. People would just do what they want to yeah. do and not worry so I think much. success as well, it's often we just completely obsessed with extrinsic success and mm. failure and how does our perceived success or failure look to the outside world? Yeah, exactly. Not actually yeah. What, make, what makes us happy or what yeah. makes, makes us sad. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It was Tim Ferriss. He has that. Um, he has a fear-setting exercise. Fear-setting. Yeah, that makes fun, being it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is a. I think it's a stoic concept. So you rehearse for bad events. So oh, I think yeah. you know, like stoics yeah. go days without food and whatever, just in mm. case one day they they don't have food, That's and so they're not fearful of that event ever happening because they know what it's like already. That is very, um, very Adam way of thinking, I think. The idea behind that is you, you imagine the worst, yeah. per se. So number one, it means you're prepared. You've rehearsed it. So if, if the worst happens in the future, you can deal with it. But it, the idea is also it makes you appreciate what you have a little bit more. Mm. And so you, mm. if you go without food for a few days, as an extreme example, when you eat very simple food, you can really appreciate that and love that. That's nice, or if yeah. you imagine someone close to you dying, as morbid as that might oh, sound. God. It means that you don't want you prepared when, when or if they do die before you, but also you really appreciate them and probably love them a little bit more in this moment. Do you do that to me? Sometimes. Uh, 
<laughs> but it is. I mean, it, it's it's stuck. And it, but the danger with that is it can be slightly consuming. Yeah. When you yeah. go down, when you go down that path. Got on the opposite. Yeah, oh. I can see. I can see that. And I think there is there is a little bit of a a line to walk that, isn't it? Because you don't want to be. It's like controlling when you choose to imagine the worst yeah because if you just walk around all day going oh could have got hit by that car or oh i just almost lost my finger cutting an onion um you know you imagine how bad that could have been if you had to go to a and e and they had to try and put your finger in some milk or whatever they do to it and i don't know it's like almost an exercise that has to be within quite tight boundaries Mm. because um I, I, i think it could rob you of enjoying the present in and you, a sense. you could say to some degree it's kind of anti-yoga and anti-buddhism because in a sense part of that isn't you know the future is all just fantasy the past has happened you need to be more present in the mm. moment however there are you know relatively well-known buddhist meditations on death and imagine dying etc and indeed in yoga there is a shavasana a corpse pose at the end of each class mm. so it's it's far mm. more nuanced than an initial discussion it's might suggest it, it yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I know what you mean, because I, I had a go at the, um, oh, I can't remember the lady's name who, who wrote the book, uh, Feeding Your Demons. Mm. I don't know if you've I've heard the seen book. that book. Yeah, yeah it, it links quite nicely into, uh, like, obviously IFS meditation is doing, the, IFS therapy is doing the rounds at the moment. It's like, a, you know, the next big thing, um, which it is. It's, it's fantastic. But I think um, with... Uh, yeah with with that meditation you are sitting opposite your yourself so the idea is you are allowing your most deepest darkest fears to come up and negative thoughts and emotions to come up and then you uh, ultimately are embracing those so you're allowing those things to have a voice so it's a bit like embracing the shadow mm. side mm. with Carl Jung it's I think it's a deeper it's like a much deeper exercise but um yeah and I think acknowledgement as well like we first started talking about acknowledgement it sort of ties back into acknowledgement so with that yeah I think stoicism I used to love stoicism but there are parts of it for me now that I find problematic like um with the fear setting exercise it's I think maybe in ancient Rome it was easier to limit your worries to maybe a few different things I feel like our brains now are hijacked on Mm. a daily basis to worry about (laughs) absolutely everything (laughs) so I think it's harder to to do the exercise properly where you're actually just focusing on say it's food and you think oh I'm going to run out of food which must have been a thing back then and you decide you're going to go for food without uh, for, for for like a few days um, you then, I don't know. I think I think now today. I don't know if I think there's so many more. I don't. Are there more concerns today? I don't yes. Know. N- nuclear war is one. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I think I think you when you do that kind of exercise, you need to put it within a remit. So a remit, let's say, of career. What is what is success or what is failure in terms of career or like? We are we are time poor. We're going to do some quick fires in a second. Before we do some okay. quick fires, I guess it'd be interesting for anyone to hear who is a creative, but how have you found your style? Like you've got a distinct style now. Like how important was it to create that, do you think? And how did you find it? I think I think today it's, it's the most important thing. Um, I think that being a jack of all trades in a creative field will not get you very far at all. And I think now everybody creates their own content, like anybody with an iPhone and Instagram can create content which means there's just so much more content in the world in general. So there's, there's a lot, lot more content. There's a lot more mediocre content. And I think the, there's a, there's a, there's a big, there's still a big gap between really good work, like really good work and really good content. And I think that there's, I'm going off on a tangent here, but there's a, I think there's a mindset shift so that people go from, if you actually are, you know, say you're making content for Instagram or social media and you decide you actually just like being a photographer or filmmaker, I think you really have to shift away from thinking you're making content mm. to that you're actually making work. Mm. Cause I think the two things are very different. Um, and 
you know, one is very personal, like work for me is something that's quite personal. It's something that I respond to emotionally. It's me communicating how I see the world and it's me communicating like maybe it might be an ideal or it might be whatever, you know, or for somebody might be a war photographer or something, but you have to be deeply connected to what you're making so that you can go and talk to people about it. Mm. Whereas I think content um, serves a purpose, you know, it feeds a beast and you have to make so much of it on a, on a weekly or monthly basis in order for other things to work for you, whether it's like, I don't know, data analytics or whatever. So I think the mindset shift is the, the big thing. And it's a lot of the time, I think for people, like for me, it's like the concept of going slow to go fast. So you have to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? Like in in the end, what's actually going to have mattered? Is it that I've ended up blitzing Instagram and getting a bunch of shoots for some brands and making website photos for people or is it that I've made some work that I'm really proud of mm. and other people have ended up responding to that and maybe I've left some positive imprints in the world that other people can pick up and they resonate with and it's like music and uh, every, everything else it's like you have to focus on what you want to say in order to come up with something that's original but that aside in terms of creating style like you just got to go and make a lot of work mm, like yeah. you really have to just go and shoot a lot of work and edit and look back and kill your darlings and get rid of stuff and delete projects if they're bad if you, for me like if if i have a really mixed um like if, if i'm really mixed and i still don't like a project or i've you know, I've been pushing it the grade and I keep going back to it for, for you know, over a couple of years. Um, I, I've deleted projects mm. that, that that have been that. And I've maybe spent a lot of money on those projects and I've just deleted them in the end. Mm. And it's creating space for something new. Yeah. Like I could go out and shoot that thing again and maybe I need to. Um, and I think a lot of the time, like hanging on to things, it's like being a bit sticky and thinking this is my best work is you've just got to go and make something else like just keep going and, and not get too stuck on what you've already already made and i think creative being creative in general is a great um exercise in in not being too attached to things yeah. like i think people who make the best work they're not really that concerned about what they've already made they're just concerned about what they're currently currently making and what they're working on mm. nice quick fires yeah. i shall start what is success to you uh, success to me. I think it's. I think it's. It's a. I think it's feeling good about what I'm. What I'm doing. I think it for me. Success now is how do I feel about myself That's when nice. I'm by myself, and I've I've stolen that. But yeah, mm, I love that. That's uh, perfect. From someone else. Best coffee you're consuming at the moment, or favourite <laughs> coffee. Uh, I am consuming a coffee by uh, James Gourmet Coffee, and it's a decaf, and it's a Colombian Boo, uh, single decaf. single origin. Move yeah, on, I'm, decaf. I'm decaf. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Honestly, though, decaf's changing. It's it's a, it's a new movement. There's a yeah, lot of really I good. I can imagine. Uh, there's a lot of really good decafs coming out. Check out Sugarcane Method if, if you okay, can. Okay, can have a look at that. Um, Favorite yeah. place that you've travelled to with your work. Um, I I really like Cape Town. Oh uh, yeah, I've, me too. I've been to, I've been to Cape Town. Um, well, Sri Lanka. Mm. I've I've been back since. Yeah. <laughs> I went back in January. Uh, yeah, I've been very lucky. I've been to some some great places. One more. How what, how would you describe your photography style or the photos you produce in like a quick? Um, I yeah. So I I try and capture feelings you know of joy presence peace connectedness um and people connecting to different environments so that might be a city or it might be in nature um it's yeah and i'd say skate my love of travel and skateboarding's definitely influenced my work but also now my love of um kind of well-being in a way i know that is almost a dirty word now but mm -hmm. it, it, it's a it's a quick fire round so i'm surmising 
(laughs) thank you so much can you uh, tell us or tell the listeners where we can find you your instagram your website yeah i am philip suddick good luck spelling that and (laughs) i've also yeah i've got i'm philipsuddick.com and philipsuddick on instagram uh, I'm I'm in both of those places, Perfect. and I also have an email address that's on my website. So come say hi if you want to. We'll put it in the notes. It is S U D D I C K. That's it. Perfect. Yeah. Philip two L's. Philip two L's. Just take, I'm sure Sudic photographer will do you. If you Google it. <laughs> Thank Cheers, you so mate. much. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. It was lovely to talk to you today. Thank you.
Honestly, I'm balanced.